Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast, me, Andy Sylvester, as we look forward to another week in the Square Mile. In a minute, I'll sit down with Stefan Bosquier, our chief political correspondent, to talk about the ongoing drama in Downing Street. But for now, it's the headlines in the business world and the average UK house prices hit another record high of 276,000 at the start of this year, according to the Halifax Index. The base of monthly growth has slowed in January, values edging up by a smaller amount than that recorded in both November and December, but they're still up 9.7% compared with a year earlier. The numbers come in the context of a wider discussion occurring in the national media, at least, about the difference in lockdown experiences of those with homes versus without homes. Indeed, there was one rather striking statistic earlier this week, which was doing the rounds, that the average wage was in fact less than the average increase in a house price last year. In short, those with homes able to stay at home during the pandemic, able to accumulate savings, frankly did rather well. Those without, not so well. One to watch over the months and years to come. Elsewhere, house builder Taylor Wimpy has revealed that Jenny Daly will take over as the firm's chief executive in April. The FTSE 100 firm said Ms Daly, who is currently the group operations director, will replace Pete Redfern after he announced his departure in December, following almost 15 years leading the business. Taylor Wimpy said the appointment comes after a thorough recruitment and selection process, which included a long list of industry and non-industry candidates. The firm had been under pressure from activist investor Elliot to appoint an external face. Elsewhere, Pets at Home has named Lissa McGowan as the retailer's next chief. The lockdown favourite will see a new chief executive take over from June the 1st, the company told investors this morning. And elsewhere, insurance giant LV has confirmed it is in talks to rival Royal London over a potential merger two months after its failed private equity takeover. The company also announced a further clear out of its boardroom. LV saw its attempted takeover by Bain Capital thwarted in December after 69% of shareholders backed the move, falling short of the 75% required. At the time, Royal London suggested it would be open to a merger deal, but outgoing LV chairman Alan Cook accused the firm of trying to destabilise the potential private equity buy-up. Alan Cook confirmed after the failed takeover vote that he intended to step down from his role, and indeed he will be replaced by Samuel Creedon as the interim chairman from the 1st of April. In an update related to that employment, uh, Samuel Creedon did confirm that talks are still taking place in Royal London. He said, we share a common interest with Royal London in a healthy and vibrant mutual sector so that we can both compete fairly with shareholder-owned firms. One to watch again. That's the business news. Uh, but I think it's fair to say, other than at City AM, it's been politics dominating the front pages for a fair few days. Stefan Bosch joins me now, Chief Political Correspondent at City AM. Stefan, another weekend of sort of miserable headlines for Boris. But there is an attempt from number 10 to sort of start a great reset. And that's begun with the appointment of a couple of new advisors. It has, Andy. And um, it's not the first, you know, reset that he's tried since this (laughs) uh, scandal has hit and the fallout has begun to damage him personally. But he does uh, trudge on. And the latest iteration has uh, Gudo Hari, his former director of communications from City Hall coming in who has had a very colourful start, I must say, coming in and doing an interview himself in in a Welsh language uh, online publication and said that in his first meeting with Boris that um, they sang I Will Survive, another Gainer song. So um, I I think that, you know, things aren't about to get less uh, uh, colourful. Surreal, I think, would be the phrase. Um, I mean, advisors have always played a more significant role in Boris Johnson's government than perhaps in previous Ones. I mean, there's been discussions obviously around Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill, but I don't think 
Um, when they were Theresa May's chief advisors, they were ever household names in the same way that Dominic Cummings certainly was. And then obviously the numerous advisors who've been in, brought up in this party gate scandal. Part of this is an effort to repair relations with backbenchers. The appointment of Steve Barclay as chief of staff, uh, moving on from his role in, was he in the cabinet office? Was he chief secretary? I he was. He's moved around a fair cabinet amount. Cabinet office most recently, yeah. Steve. Um, uh, you know, putting a Tory MP in that chief of staff role, an effort to bring backbenchers who are getting a little bit peeved, I think it's fair to say, with number 10 on side. Absolutely. And it's something that they've been calling for for a long time. I was speaking to backbenchers last year when the second job scandal hit and he had that awful speech at the CBI and you started mm. to get really quite nasty briefings about him. That was sort of the talk that, you know, around the ones that wanted to make um, it work was he needs to bring in someone to speak to the backbenchers. Because I think, especially after you won the 80-seat majority, he was riding high in the polls so long, even after, you know, what happened during COVID, there was a sense of, I am bigger than the party, mm. you know, there was a sense of triumphalism around the Conservative Party conference last year. So now that's really come back to bite him and, you know, putting someone in place is something that um, has long been called out for and he hopes that will, you know, stem the tide of no confidence letters that is slowly trickling into mm. um, the 1922 committee of Tory backbenchers. One thing which I will add as well, the importance of Steve Barclay as well in this role is that he is a big ally of Rishi Sunak mm. and we've seen over the last weeks Sunak you know, being a bit more keen to come out with a potential sign that he is on manoeuvres and is keen to, um, you know, take over in number 10. So putting in Barclay there and, you know, apparently he's been speaking with uh, number 11 about how this reset goes. So it does show intention Mm. to try and, um, you know. Try and move on. I mean, anybody that's grown up in Aussie politics like yourself will be able to spot leadership campaigns um, a mile off. Um, yeah, it's certainly true that, that Rishi Sunak has, has wound it in slightly. Liz Truss, um, locked up in isolation with COVID-19, has probably taken some of the heat out of that leadership contest, which never really got going in, in, in full form. And I guess the question for Tory Barbenches that they are answering is, yes, it's great to have better relations with number 10. It would also be nice if you know Boris Johnson wasn't on the front pages every day with some new scandal, it would be great if their inboxes weren't full of people you know, raging about about parties and various other things. But actually, there's a more fundamental problem here, right? Which is, what's the great reset for? Because one of the criticisms I keep reading, I keep hearing, and maybe you're hearing from backbenchers, is is what's the point of it all? Boris is in charge, yes, but this ATC majority, what what's the plan for the next two and a half years? And we saw a little bit of that, I guess, with the levelling up paper last week. Yeah, I think that's been a constant complaint over you know the last two years since the election is there isn't really much policy heft uh, around his government. Obviously, you know, COVID has uh, disrupted that, and you know, the main offering was the leveling up program, which we've only finally understood now a bit about what that is going to contain. Beyond that, um, he has promised to be a more sort of you know small state conservative after you know raising taxes to their highest point in 70 years and uh, being a much more expansionist PM, he has promised to be a bit more of a traditional conservative. Where the form that takes, it's hard to say. And, you know, how do they actually plan that while inflation's raging, economy while, you know, growing quite quick, it's come from a very low base after an Mm -hmm. awful pandemic for the UK. So how much wiggle room they have for this is, you know, something that we can't really know for a while now. Yeah, that's a bigger question. And just a brief word about about the opposition. I think you know 
for the first time, people were forced to confront the, the, the idea of, you know, a general election happening sooner rather than later um, over the past couple of weeks. I still think it's some way away. I'm sure you'd probably agree. But, you know, Keir Starmer, Angela Rayner, but particularly Rachel Reeves, landing blows, but probably not as many as they would have liked, considering how miserable things have been for the Tory party. I think they've done well enough, but I think that their leads, which are, you know, getting to a point they'd be happy with, eight, nine points in the polls, it seems fairly soft. Uh, I'm not sure if people are still convinced that Keir Starmer is, you know, the man that they want as Prime Minister or that he has a clear vision for the future of the UK. But I think, you know, at least for them, they see, people seem to see the party Mm. as potentially uh, electable, which is something they haven't been able to say for, it really goes beyond Corbyn to, you know, since Gordon Brown left, uh, maybe even since Tony Blair left. So they're on the right stage, but I think it's going to take still a long time, at least two more years for the people to um, sort of mm. shed their uh, ideas of what the party's been for so long. Yeah, and I think, you know, the last thing i say is that Jeremy Corbyn's period did do an awful lot of damage to the party's reputation of course um and it's taken Keir Starmer a while to to sort of grasp, wrestle the party back jury's probably still a little bit out when it comes to the membership about whether he's done that but there were people even when Keir Starmer was appointed saying that his job was to get the party back to respectability and it would be the next leader that took it to electability and potentially victory and I don't know about you but I don't I haven't received an invite involving the Labour Party over the past three months that hasn't, in the business community, that hasn't included the words with guest remarks from Rachel Reeves. You interviewed the Shadow Chancellor uh, not all that long ago, and she's you know, she's not making particularly leadership noises. She knows it's not the time to do so, but it seems ever more that she is the heir apparent, and we could have, I guess, a business-friendly Labour Party, or at least within the the Overton window of what counts as business friendliness in today's politics? I think at the very least, she's clearly now the number two in the party. Angela Rayner has been sidelined. Uh, I don't think that Keir Starmer's office, uh, you know, sees her as the sort of person that can be an effective deputy in, you know, in a public-facing role. So she's, you know, really been pushed out mm. to the front. And this has been shown even amongst the lobby last year at the Labor Christmas party with a lobby journalist, which was postponed because of COVID, but it was fronted and headlined as uh, Rachel Rees and Keir Starmer, not Angela Rayner. Uh, so it is quite clear that she is, you know, and I think that Keir and her genuinely seem to get along. Like mm. when you see them chatting and at events, they seem to have a bit of, you know, banter and they seem to, you know, have some sort of nerdy companionship between them. That I think that maybe Keir didn't have with Angela Rayner. Mm. And I think that that has necess- necessarily meant that, yeah, she now looks as if she would be the natural uh, heir to him. Indeed. Uh, keep your friends close, as they say. Um, that's all from us at the City View podcast. Today. We'll be back tomorrow with more interviews from the world of business. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.